Let me see what I'm... Oh, how come I'm not getting anything right there? Lack of training. Lack of training. That is our dilemma. <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Well, hey there, Don. How are you? Sam, I'm well and dandy. I'm uh, I'm over here recovering just as hard as I possibly can. How are you? I'm doing all right. By the way, hey folks, I'm Sam. <laughs> Good to have you here. It seems like it's been a while. Seems like a really long time. An owl's age. It's been an owl's age, yeah. <laughs> what's what's been up with you? What's been up with me? Uh let's see. I um ooh, I just put in an application. For employment. Ah? At the General Service Office in New York for Alcoholics Anonymous World Services. Did you know that there's actually paid employees there? I did know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. I, well, they've uh, they put up a, uh, a notification. There's not a lot. No, there's there. not. A, well, actually, there are. For, for the size of the work that AA does, yeah. um, there's a surprisingly small number of people employed by AA. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I think, uh, like maybe 120, something like that, are employed uh-huh. at the general service office. Most of those people are not alcoholics. Uh, That's more than I thought. But then there are the staff positions that are referred to. Uh, these are the people who man the service desks. And they have 12 and have decided to add a 13th position. So they have two openings and they uh, advertise for those in August. And after some prayer, some meditation, some consultation with trusted friends and, and some due diligence in, uh, in, in researching what working there would be like, I pulled together my materials and uh, put together a, uh, an application, a bid packet, if you will. Yeah, well, you're, you're qualified for that, I do believe. You've done a lot. You're very much into service work, as much as anyone I know. I am into the service work. I, I think one of the big things that was really cool for me was getting an awareness on this thing. I was procrastinating writing the cover letter. Well, that's and, always hard. <laughs> well, and what it was coming from was I was waffling as to whether or not I really wanted this position. And then what occurred to me was I just need to let them know who I am. And that's what I'm up to because they're knowing who I am. There was some reason I was led to apply for this. And it may be a reason that has nothing to do with this particular job. It may be flat out that just somebody there needs to know who I am at some point down the road where I can wind up being of service. Yeah. You know, we follow where we're led and if we ask for inspiration and then you, who knows, you have to go with the inspiration, see what develops. And you, you don't know how it's going to play out. But I've got one question that's crucial. Like, does this mean you're going to move? Uh, it would, if I were to get that position, yes, I would move to New York City. New York City? New York City? How, that We'll have to Skype. We will grow technologically. Well, we'll, we'll I mean. No, you're, you're going to replace me. I know you are. I, 
I'm not even going to think about it. Matter of I'm fact, not, you, could, you could maybe you could replace me with our guest. You know what? I had a dream last night. I woke <laughs> up in the middle of the night from a dream, and it was dead quiet. It was probably about 3.30 outside in the neighborhood. Even though the windows were closed because it was a cool evening, I heard an owl. I knew this was coming. He wasn't doing our owl call. All he did was, was whoo. <laughs> I didn't know what the, I didn't know how to answer the question. But I think that the answer to the question is our guest. Who are you? Who am I? Who? Who are you? Who? 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 We really want to know. So I, I need some clarification first. Was the owl in the dream? And it woke you up? No, no. So you woke up and then heard the owl. Yeah, then heard the owl. But I, the owl might have woken me up. I don't know. It was... Is it odd or is it God? <laughs> That's always the question. If it's with Don, it's definitely odd. Quite I have my own conception of God. <laughs> and you're allowed to do that. Yeah, it's quite odd. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having Absolutely. me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We've been trying to get together and do this for how long now? Well, it's been many, many months. Many months. Trying to get schedules to uh, work out at the same time. But you work weekends. Sometimes, yeah. I work yeah. about one week in a month. Or yeah, uh-huh. except when he takes vacations and totally screws up my being able to meet with my sponsor <laughs> because then my sponsor has to cover his slack. I hear I resentment. Mean, <laughs> I, I, you got, don't, you got I don't any of those, know what that's about, and I'm not going to get into <laughs> you it. You got any of those black chips here? <laughs> so tell us when you got sober. I got sober sometime in late 1983. Mm-hmm. I call November 17th my sobriety date because I think that's when I finally decided to pick up a start chip. I had been coming to meetings, I think, for a couple of weeks and wasn't real certain what kind of a cult y'all were. <laughs> so I hung around for a little while, and, and you know, I'm, I'm very noncommittal, in case y'all uh, ever wonder about that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and finally, I decided that you were not a cult, and, and it was safe to go ahead and pick up one of those, those beginner How tips. long did that take? I think I'd been coming to, to meetings for about two weeks at that point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that yeah. happened to me. I came in, and it was it was two weeks before I came back mm-hmm. uh, and got a, a start chip because it threw me. Yeah, and you like, were what twelve? I was twenty five. Twenty five. I was twenty five, and I feel very fortunate to have grown up in the rooms of twelve step recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a what a way to grow grow up! What a wonderful way to. Well, to, really. Well, I can't really say I grew up. Yeah, you did. I grew old. <laughs> yeah, you did. I grew older. <laughs> so what was it that made you come to AA? Why did you want to check this out? Oh, I didn't see? want to. <laughs> that's, that's an assumption. Um, I didn't want to. I, I was told by my attorney <laughs> uh, that it might be a good idea if when we went to court, I could say that I was going to some AA meetings. Oh, you wanted to look good in the eyes of the court. Well, I mean, it was my attorney's suggestion. And, you know, I had I had been through a lot of other court cases in the past, all, you know, substance use related. Mm-hmm. And um, I had actually gone to a couple of meetings when I was about 17 years old because I was involved in a court-ordered program. And I think that the 
leader of that program or the guy who facilitated our classes, he may have been in recovery himself. And there were a couple of nights when we showed up and he said, um, I'm going to take you all to an AA meeting tonight. And I think it's because there was a speaker speaking that he wanted to hear. So he took the entire class <laughs> with him, which was okay. And I can remember going to those meetings when I was 17 years old and thinking, man, these people are really nice. You know, everybody's so friendly. Everybody looks so happy. But I certainly wasn't ready at 17. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. still having fun, or so I thought, at 17. I mean, I was I was definitely qualified for this program at 17, but um, I wasn't ready for it. The consequences hadn't started piling well, up. Well, I had already I'd had some consequences, thus having to go to these court order classes. But just not enough. But not enough, right? Not enough. You know, I thought, well, I've just uh, I've just got bad luck, or you know, law enforcement is right. Pick, they're picking on me. Well, right? yeah. You know, I'm just oh, there the, he goes again. I'm Let's in get the him. wrong place at the wrong time. But uh, yeah, at age 25, I was pretty beaten up by that time. And when my attorney said. Um, you know, it might look good if when we go to court, you could be going, you could say you're going to some AA meetings. And to that, I said, those aren't going to work for me. <laughs> and he, sure. he leaned across his mahogany desk and looked me square in the eyes. And he said, well, I suggest you give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had paid him a significant amount of money to represent me as a retainer fee. And I thought, maybe I should listen for the first time in my life. Maybe I should listen to somebody. And I went to my first meeting that night. What was the charge? What were you arrested? It was a my third DWI. Okay. okay. Yeah. I had already lost my license previously and for a couple of years and got my license back and in no time had my third DWI. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to that meeting that night, and um, it was a beginner's meeting. And I can't remember a thing that happened in that meeting. Not a thing. All I know is I sat in the corner and I tried to look as inconspicuous as possible. And I know that I was probably drenched with sweat and trembling, (laughs) cowering in the corner, hoping that nobody would notice I was there. And then when the meeting was over, I made a beeline for the door. Oh, yeah. And to drink or to? No, just to try to get out of there. Because I felt so uncomfortable in my Uh first meeting. And, um, were you not drinking? I, I don't think I'd been drinking that day. Uh-huh. I was probably, I don't, you know, I don't know if my tremors were because I was so nervous, so full of anxiety, or if I was in withdrawal or, or what, but you know, uh, as I tried to get out the door, there was a fellow standing in the doorway, Charlie C. And I credit him for saving my life because as I tried to slide sideways past Charlie, he stuck out his hand and introduced himself. <laughs> and so I shook his hand and told him my name, and he, he asked me that, that big question, are you an alcoholic? And I thought back to those classes where we watched the Father Martin tapes, and I could remember Father Martin's uh, definition of an alcoholic, which was an alcoholic is a person whose drinking causes problems in their lives. And I thought of that definition, and I definitely fitted that definition. So uh-huh. uh, I, I told Charlie that I was, and then he 12-stepped me right there in the doorway as I was trying to leave the church. And he hooked me. You say 12-stepped you. What did he do? So, so interestingly, he did pretty much what they say in the big book. You know, he started talking about his own drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, which was a tact that I had never seen before. I had never witnessed that before. People had been trying to educate me and, and, and 
tell me, you know, what my future was going to look like if I didn't stop drinking and, you know, all kind of give me the horror stories and all that. But no one had ever started talking about their own drinking. And, and it really piqued my interest because I could tell this guy knew what he was talking about. That's what gets you. That I mean, is. That's what got it me. Is. Absolutely. Right. Because these, these guys know what know they're talking what, about. Yeah. And so I listened to him and I, you know, I just, I had this instant connect connection with Charlie. So, you know, we talked for a little while and, and then he offered me a ride home because I was on foot. And, um, when we got to my apartment, he said, I'm going to another meeting tomorrow night. If you'd like, I'll, I'll be glad to come get you and give you a ride. So my second meeting was what really got me. It was, uh, it was what was to become my first home group. It was a young people's meeting. Nice. And it was, it was uh, early November of 1983. So it was getting dark early. And they had a fireplace, a real wood-burning fireplace at the end of the room. And of course, in a basement of a church, right? Nice. And uh, they had a fire going in the fireplace. And then at 8 o'clock, they turned all the lights out and, and lit candles, which was wonderful for me because I was so self-conscious. You know, right. I had such social mm-hmm. phobia that turning out the lights really helped me to feel more comfortable. And I was able to sit there and listen and not feel so self-conscious. So it, it gave me the opportunity to really hear what people were saying rather than worry about what people were thinking about me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I heard was you know, all these people talking about their drinking, which sounded exactly like mine, and all of the consequences that they suffered, which sounded a lot like mine, but what really got me was when they talked about how happy they were living sober, that they were able to stay sober for extended periods of time. I think one guy there had like five years at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was Which like, one you're new is like oh, forever. Oh, oh that's, yeah. that's a lifetime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that I, I got hope that night mm-hmm. because my thought was if these people drank like I did, and they suffered the consequences of their drinking like I did, and they were able to get sober and stay sober and live happily, then maybe there's hope that I can too. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I actually stood up, my the, the meeting went long, and my ride, Charlie had to leave, so I stood up as we were leaving, and I said, I want to thank everybody here. I will be back. <laughs> cool. I will be back. So I was, I was hooked right there from my second meeting. But it was still two weeks before you joined. Well, you know, there was, there was the whole God thing. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. The whole no God kidding. thing, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I would go to meetings and they'd have the steps on the wall. And there was God with the capital G, mm-hmm. you know, which, mm-hmm. and I thought, and I looked at that third step and I thought, man, if I have to do that, I'm doomed. There's no way that mm-hmm. I can do what that step is asking me to do. And therefore, I'm, you know, I don't know that I can be a part of this program. Fortunately, there were a lot of good people there who made it very easy for me and said, don't worry about the God thing. You just don't drink today. Come to another meeting tonight, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I, I kind of survived on the fellowship for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, just the friendliness of the people in the rooms really kept me coming back. That's how it was for me too. Mm-hmm. I it was eight months mm-hmm. before actually, it was eight months before I asked you to be my sponsor. Oh no! 
you were the first person that I asked to be my sponsor. You were very sick, and you? you were full up. You were you were you were a sick <laughs> man. If, if but I was, I didn't know y'all. Yeah, had this connection. sure enough. There, I, I, it, I so yeah. I, I but it was eight months of fellowship. Yeah, that that where the traditions kept me sober mm-hmm. because people were showing up and making sure AA right. was there. Right, and then I finally got up the nerve to to ask someone. You were full up, and you suggested asking one of your sponsees. Uh-huh. Okay, and I didn't have the nerve in me to do exactly. that. Yeah, and then I talked with my little group of friends after a meeting that night, mm-hmm. and one of them said, "Well, Sam, I'll be your temporary sponsor." Perfect. And yeah. she was my sponsor for four years. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So but my experience totally was that that right. thing of uh, I I could not jump into steps and stuff. I just, I needed the people right. for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, fortunately for me, because I was so introverted and so shy, I couldn't have asked someone to be my sponsor. So I, I was around mm-hmm. for a little while, and this old timer named Jim comes up to me and he says, he says, Alan, I want you to meet Tom. He's going to be your sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> you got assigned. Which, which, which was perfect for me. Yeah. You know? And I've boy, had them assigned too. It's yeah. a hell of a lot easier that way. <laughs> it is a lot easier that way. And Tom was an interesting character. You know, he, I used to want to wring his neck because I would go <laughs> to him with a problem and I would expect him to offer me a solution to this problem, right? And he would say, Well, whatever you decide, you're going to learn something from it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, man. Like, you're supposed to give me an answer. What kind of sponsor are you? <laughs> you're fired. I want the next. <laughs> He's always point, pointing you back at yourself. Absolutely, yeah. You mean a sponsor doesn't tell you what you should do? Well, I don't know. I, I've never met a sponsor that would tell me what to do. They're not like life advisors and, and, and life and like yeah. you know and, and financial guides and no, love life no, guides no, and <laughs> no one, no one ever counseled me in relationships or loaned me money or, which is probably a good thing because I probably would have taken it and headed for the border. But, <laughs> but I know that, you know, when I sponsor guys, um, I, I try to offer my experience, strength and hope, which is, I think what we, what we truly have to offer in this program is, is our own experience. And that doesn't mean that all the experience we share has a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I can share something that, that went wrong in, you know, in a really bad way. And maybe that can help somebody, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're at the precipice of making that same decision that I made and things went poorly for mm-hmm. me. So maybe I can help somebody. Maybe I can be a great example of what not to do in this program. <laughs> <laughs> well, our experience is, is useful. Absolutely. And both the positive and negative mm-hmm. experiences that we've had. Right. Yeah. And they both are our mm-hmm. greatest assets. Right. Plus, I like the idea of a, of a sponsor as a sounding board re- reflecting myself back mm-hmm. so that I can see what is invisible to me because I'm sure. wrapped up in it. Right. They're, and They're like a mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. the other person's like reflecting it back to me and saying what I'm doing. going, does that sound right, Don? I mean, it's like, <laughs> well... Okay, and it it adds clarity. And I remember when I was trying, uh, working on making amends to someone, and I was mm. going through a long process because I it was a it was someone that I was really had difficulty untangling my part mm-hmm. from his part. Right. He had done more to me than I had done to him, and right. I was really yeah. angry, and and it sure. was justifiable. 
But I had a part. And to get me to understand my part right. took a year of talking with my sponsor, and he would have me, okay, write out your part, and then I'd re- read it back to him, and he'd go, well, no, no, this this sentence here, you're you're talking about him. This isn't about him. <laughs> you, yes. you need to do this again. I want you to think yeah. about this again, pray right. about it, and write it again. And over uh-huh. a period of year doing that, right. I did it, and I the other guy was not in it at all. I was completely clear on my part, and he said, I think you really understand your part now. Mm-hmm. Well, I had done the whole thing. He didn't tell me what to do. Right. That's fantastic. And I like that you are illustrating the difference that I've experienced between sponsor and trusted friends. Yes. Because I do have trusted friends that I will consult with on... In recovery. In Mm -hmm. in recovery. Yes. um, About some things. Mm Mm-hmm. But my sponsor really has the backstory. Absolutely. My sponsor has this right. ongoing experience. Because we've of been working full with honesty. our sponsor from from the get go. Exactly. You know, hopefully, you know, if you know, if I sponsor somebody and they've maybe had some experience in the program, we always start back at the beginning, and that gives me the opportunity to get to know this person fully. That, that's right. Yeah. You want to have somebody who knows. I want to have somebody who knows everything about me. Yes, absolutely. That's that's very, very And my experience on that has been uh, that uh, I have to work the steps with every sponsor. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't do that. I wound up starting over by not doing that. And the great thing about sponsorship is is I have to work the steps while I'm asking my sponsee to work the steps. You know? It holds me accountable. And I think that that's a big part of what sponsorship is all about is that's why the way that we stay sober Mm -hmm. again and again it's emphasized it's working with others right yep absolutely that's what keeps it alive for me Mm -hmm. keeps it green and keeps me looking at myself absolutely and talking to a sponsee my behavior it's is pointed out as well you know so Back to this amends that you made uh-huh. or, or tried to make, but the person wasn't open to it. You were unable to actually meet face to face. No, ultimately I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, ultimately yeah. I did. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it until I could talk about right. it extensively and have it only be my part. Right. So you, you no longer held a grudge toward this person or? I held a grudge. You did. Okay. But I knew my part. Right. Yeah. I mean, I understood. Good. I wasn't blinded mm-hmm. by my resentment to what my part was. Okay. Because I have found in making amends, the most important piece of the whole amends process for me is in step eight, where it says, and we were ready, you know, we were entirely ready to have to make these amends. That's what that year was. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you were becoming ready to make becoming that Becoming ready. Right. And for me, you know, if I still have, uh, if I have hard feelings toward this other person, what really helps me is, is to understand that this person did what they did to me because they were a sick person. Yeah. Which puts me on an equal plane with this person because I'm sick as well. You know, I have a, an illness. Mine manifests itself in, in alcoholism, right? But they have a spiritual illness as well. I don't know what it manifests Itself right, as, as a human being. But when I understand that, and I can find some compassion for that person and understand that they mm-hmm. did what they did because they have a spiritual illness of their own, 
Right. And the fact that I'm now a spiritual giant and, 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 and further evolved <laughs> in my growth Sam. than Only them, Sam. so I can be magnanimous and yes. forgive them for their part. Oh, that's not how this works. Well, maybe for you, Sam, <laughs> but we know that you are special. <laughs> I met with my first sponsor last night. Uh, we watched a baseball game together, mm-hmm. and he had forgotten about this, but he was he's a lawyer and he was involved and he knew personally every detail about the person i needed to make amends to mm. and he had seen the whole thing he and like i said there were justifiable things that were that right. were done to me right. that were wrong and he was invested in it Interesting. And at one point, I it's was almost going, like a conflict of interest. Thing? It, it <laughs> is. <laughs> and my, so maybe he should I, have recused himself. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I can't sponsor you on this. On this <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was talking to him at one point, and I was mm-hmm. going because I read in the big book where it's, it says, you know, no matter what they've done, even if they have done more to you than you have yeah. done. You have, if you have a part, you mm-hmm. need to make amends. And I was going, right. oh, oh no, <laughs> no, does this say this? And I went to him with this, and he was going, you don't need to make amends to that asshole. Really? Yeah. Huh. And so I was going, mm. so there you was know, sort of a conflict of interest because there he had an opinion about this person. He knew too much about it. He, he did. Well, mm-hmm. and like I said, a sponsor needs to be dispassionate he to does. be able to yeah. look at he it. Need to be very objective. And be he, very he had objective. some sort of an emotional. And he was tied yeah. into link it. in there. He yes. was my lawyer in mm-hmm. the situation, mm-hmm. and it was too close to mm-hmm. it. So right. at one point, I was going, I, you know yes. what? I think I need to get a different sponsor yeah. because. This is like one of the biggest things that I have resentment about. Right. And I don't know how to deal with it. Right. And that was one of the reasons I, I got a different sponsor. You know, interestingly, I had a similar situation to that. It wasn't with a sponsor. Well, I had a sponsor who was helping me through, you know, I, I had done my four step and fifth step with, and I had a resentment on my fifth step. And he told me, you, you know, until you let go of this resentment, you can't grow. You know, your resentment is, is removing you from the sunlight of the Spirit, and until you let go of this resentment, you cannot grow spiritually. At the same time, I was seeking some outside help. I was seeing a therapist, mm-hmm. and my therapist said, you need to go to this person and tell them how much they hurt you and how angry you are at oh, them. Oh, wow, and, okay. And, you know, uh-huh. So a completely different tact. Right. So I didn't know which way to go with Oh, this. they're I coming had, from different places. I had two places. people who mm-hmm. I respected very much telling me two different ways to deal with this resentment. I'm glad that I took my sponsor's recommendation on this because I feel like if I had, you know, my sponsor was, you know, you need to find forgiveness for this person and understand, you know, like it says in the big book. I feel that if I had done what this therapist was asking me to do, then I would have done irreparable damage to that relationship that maybe I wanted to mend by doing my ninth step amends to this person for my peace in, in the situation where I had a resentment. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, mending a relationship mm-hmm. because one of the experiences that, uh, that I had through the, uh, the ni- my first go-round with the ninth step was also clarity that there were some relationships that I needed to clean up, Yes, but they did not need to continue. No. And that was that was an important thing right. to be able to acknowledge what I'd done and make any reparations that were needed. Right. 
but this doesn't mean that we're going to be buddies. Exactly. And it's forgiveness. You know, just because I forgive somebody for something they've done in the past doesn't mean that I'm going to put myself in the position where they can do it to me again. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not. That's part of my part. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Is is being is allowing it to happen to mm-hmm. not not take action, you like one of the things like with parents. Mm-hmm. Um, there were situations where I had with with parents that I had I really didn't have a part in that. I was a little kid, mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything I could do. But to be forty years old. And steaming with anger and resentment. Well, I might have a part that, in that. Is your part? That's yes. where my part. You've been is. holding on to this for so long. Reliving it. Nur- what is it? It's a for resentment. Don't don't nurse it. Rehearse it. <laughs> or there's there's three parts of that. Don't don't nurse it. Rehearse it. Regurgitate it. No, not, <laughs> I don't know what it. I don't re- yeah. I don't recall what it I'm, is. I'm, yeah. But yeah, that's exactly right. Is is my part in it is that I held on to it for all this time and put that wedge between myself mm-hmm. and this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love the uh, the thing that I learned. It, it wasn't in these rooms, but I, I'm glad it's still stuck and I hear it whenever we have conversations like this. And that is, you know, say something happened to me when I was seven years old mm-hmm. and I've held on to it into my 40s. Right. What 40-year-old is going to let their life, a decision of how they're going to live, be made by a (laughs) seven-year-old? Yes, that's that's a good point. That's That's a good point. And also, there's, you know, we live this program one day at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So we try to leave the past in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm still Mm -hmm. re-experiencing that that event that happened to me when I was seven years old, it's because I'm dragging it with me into this into the present. And not only are, are, am I dragging it, and yet again, something from another <laughs> program that I went through, but not only am I dragging it around with me, but then I'm throwing it in front of yes. me with every interaction <laughs> that I have with this person or right. someone similar right. to them. A- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Stop dragging your past around. <laughs> <laughs> I was mowing the grass. I was in, in recovery. But sometimes these things are like invisible to us. And this is what's nice about being in recovery is that it's like if I'm doing a daily inventory and look at what's going on, then I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on to this, the, the committee in my head that's like <laughs> operating behind the scenes. And I was mowing the grass and I was angry. Just mowing the grass always makes me angry. Hmm. And it, I call it meditation, but... <laughs> well, I, it was not for me because th- that was a source of constant conflict. Now, what I just father. heard is Alan will mow your, your lawn for no, you. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's that not was, what you heard. <laughs> constant conflict with my father, mm-hmm. and I could never do it right. right. And mm-hmm. I had to do it precisely with these yeah. you know, rules. And so here I am mowing the grass age 45, and I was angry and steaming and then i was thinking about this one incident from long and i was going don this happened to you 40 years ago you know what a a long time ago right and here you are doing it like in nursing it don't nurse it don't curse it don't rehearse it. it that was it yep 
Nice. And so the therapist told you to call your dad and cuss him out for having done that to you, right? <laughs> this is what you did to me, dad. You know, I think therapy is really good oh, yeah. for um, uh, self-discovery, for self-knowledge, to be able to see the things that are that are hidden from myself to mm-hmm. help me understand that maybe they're, you know, like I could say that they're, that my relationship with my parents and compared to well, most people... I had a great childhood, but there mm-hmm. were things that were that were really harmful to me. Sure. And in therapy, it helped me get. It's okay to acknowledge that there were things that were wrong. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it helped with that part of self discovery. But I went to therapy to try to understand my um, what this anxiety that I had inside of myself was. Mm-hmm. Then I would be able to drink normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it didn't work. Uh, it never worked. I did some therapy pre-recovery too, and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But I did do therapy uh, in recovery, and that's been really useful. <laughs> well, I think even the therapy I did pre-recovery was useful because it, uh, it helped me to well, understand what was going on. So he could drink more. In my, they, with it, my it took thinking. away an excuse to drink. <laughs> it, got, it, gave, it gave me illuminated you know it shone light in a lot of dark corners that i didn't even know the dark corners were there before Mm -hmm. but what it but it's a whole different approach doing the steps because yeah that's about no doubt yeah taking a different attitude towards the people that i'm angry at and Mm -hmm. it's not just acknowledging that i'm angry at them i've got to take steps to clear up what the problems were. You know, I find it interesting that there's a statement in the big book that says self-knowledge availed us nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it says also there's another one where it says no one ever got sober based on self-knowledge. But we really emphasize self-knowledge quite a bit in the program. You know, we we have whole, to be awake with what we're doing. The whole inventory process, the whole you know fourth and fifth step, the whole tenth step, the whole you know all of that mm-hmm. is is so much of that is based in self knowledge. But I think that what the big book is, you know, if we take that out of context, we can really um, blow it into things that it doesn't really apply to. I think what the big book is saying is that self knowledge is not going to get you sober to begin with. You know, the, mm-hmm. the inventory process, the self knowledge comes after we've had some success at being abstinent from drinking. Well, self knowledge is just not going to do it. Period. No, no it's not, it's not there's action alone. that I have to take. Self knowledge alone will not self, do it. Self knowledge accompanied by yes. positive action. Yes, right. Positive yeah. action and Asking God to keep me so no developing a relationship with a higher power. No doubt. Because I think I really think that's the difference between therapy and AA mm-hmm. is there's the spiritual, there's spiritual element. Connection. And yes. Therapy is about is all about self knowledge. So mm-hmm. the I was like excited about doing a fourth and fifth step because I had been in therapy for a long time. And I was going, mm-hmm. Oh, this is just like therapy. And really it it pretty much was. But then I was terrified of making amends. That's what I didn't uh-huh. want to do. Yeah. And that's what the difference that's, is. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's where the rubber hits the road, really, for yeah. me, is making those amends. This, that's where, you know, for me, it, it, am I really willing to go to any length to stay sober? So how did you, did you get to the place in making amends to someone that you were justifiably angry at? 
How did you get to the place that you could say you had let go of that? Well, it, it was that whole process, you know, where it talks about in the big book, you know, we, we recognize, I'm paraphrasing, that the people who had wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. And it's that process that I just described where, you know, I understand that they're spiritually ill, which puts me on an equal plane with that person. And I can find that compassion. And through that compassion and understanding, then I find forgiveness. And when I find the forgiveness, then I let go of the resentment. I'm no longer holding that grudge against that person when mm -hmm. I forgive them, if I truly forgive them. And I find that for myself, when I, when I make an amend, I have to have found a, a level of forgiveness for that person or else the, the amend will not be genuine. Mm-hmm. I was really concerned about it, and I heard a guy say at a meeting that where does forgiveness comes from? Forgiveness comes from inside of myself. Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? It comes from a place that's bigger than me. Absolutely. It's something where I'm it's bigger than my personal mm -hmm. ego. Right. I'm gonna be big about this. Right. <laughs> and forgive them. So what that is, that's my higher power. No doubt. Forgiveness comes from being able to see from the point of view closer to my higher power, from a higher point of view. Yep, I agree with that. And mm -hmm. Sam used the word magnanimous earlier in, a, in sort of in a joking way, but I think that that's, that's what we do. We, mm -hmm. we reach that point where we can be magnanimous, and that does come, at least for me, comes from my higher power. It comes from a place of humility, too. No doubt. Mm -hmm. I told you guys before we started recording that my mother stayed over last night. Mm -hmm. She and I had a good long conversation, two of them, this morning, and talked about some things that have been going on over the past year. It's yeah. this, this <laughs> idea that though I've got some stuff to look at there, too, because mm -hmm. uh, my behavior, a decision that I have made, is affecting my mother even though it's not about her. Right. It is about her. Yeah. Because I love her, and I want to have a good relationship with her, mm -hmm. and I want her to be happy. Of course. And so within me, I have to find that crack that will allow the humility yes. and the magnanimity yes. to show and swallow a little bit of pride, perhaps even, and say some things that, and do some things that I don't want to do, but the doing of them produces the opportunity for mm -hmm. healing. You're taking into account her feelings. Yeah. As well as your own. Damn it. Why y'all do this to me? I didn't come to get sober for this. <laughs> Look at Sam taking someone else's feelings into account. Yeah. When did this happen? Uh, he's precious. As Don pats me on my head. <laughs> but we do. We have to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. You know, and we have to be somewhat selfless. I mean, you know, the destruction of ego, the destruction of self-centeredness is a big part of this program. And thinking about other people's welfare, which, you know, certainly in my drinking days was not something I considered. You know, it, it, it's a big part of recovery is learning to live within this world as it is rather than trying to manipulate the world into what I want it to be, what mm -hmm. I expect it to be. 
What's give us an example of some place in your life where you've done that? Nope, not gonna do it. No, <laughs> <laughs> too personal. Oh, no, you don't gosh. have to if it's too personal. But I don't think I've ever accomplished that. I'm just talking shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's See, what I'm trying see, to get out of the world of theory yeah. into. When practical. Alan walked in well, here, his eyes were brown. Now they're blue. <laughs> or was it the other way around? Now they're brown. Um, you know, I feel that when I was in my drinking days, I was probably living in some sort of a fantasy world, you know. And and when when the fantasy didn't live up to my expectations... That's what I used alcohol for. We used to, you know, when I was a kid, we used to, in my early using days, drinking days, we used to say that um, reality is for people who can't handle drugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think oh, for me, yeah. for me, it was, it was uh, you know, the drugs and the alcohol were because I couldn't handle reality, yeah. right? So, and today... You know, I'm trying to live in this world and and just live in the reality that is this life. And that's been a process of developing, uh, being okay, you know, and it all comes down to, and, and AA taught me all of this, you know, it's a lot about acceptance. I can't quote the big book where it says, or maybe it's in the 12 and 12 where it talks about, it's my job to accept people as they are, this world as it is, mm -hmm. you know, whether I like it or not. That's reality. This is, this is the reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where I have to live, whether I like it or not. Yeah, acceptance you know, is not approval. No, it is not approval. That was a great thing that I learned, it's, yeah. Acceptance simply means that I'm not trying to change it. Right. Right? So if I'm not trying to change it, I'm accepting it for what it is. doesn't mean I have to like it. And it doesn't mean that I can't try to change it if it's one of those things I can change. Well, if it's something that needs to be changed. But acceptance is, this is how it is right now. Absolutely. Right. So, so living in that, this reality has helped me to, to move forward and just say, okay, Alan, this is what it is. This mm -hmm. is what your day looks like. This is what your life looks like. Now what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Right. And move forward. And this program gives us the principles to be able to move forward and make an enjoyable existence out of what's here, right? So do you ever get angry at, at anything of course. in the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely I get angry. But I've come to understand now that, that anger is a secondary emotion for me. What does that mean? It means that there's always something that comes before the anger. Fear. Is fear. Absolutely. The 12 and 12 says that the chief activator of all of our character defects is self-centered fear. Hmm. So if I find myself wallowing in a character defect, and anger is, is a great example of a character defect, I have to ask myself, so what am I afraid of? There's always a fear behind that anger. And it's self-centered fear. I don't know of any other type of fear. You know, mm -hmm. even if I'm afraid that something is going to happen to somebody I love. How is it going to affect me is yeah, the question. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If something's going to happen to somebody I love, it's still about me. Right. Right. Because how's that going to affect me? So 
you know, I can simply ask myself, what am I afraid of? And, you know, that, that part of the 12 and 12 says, you know, we're afraid that we're going to lose something we've got or we're not going to get something that we demand, you know, and I like to change that word demand to expect, mm. you know, I'm not going to get something that I expect. And then the solution to that is, okay, God has got this, you know, my higher power is going to make things work to my benefit. And I'm not big enough to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I might have expectations. I might have an idea of how I want things to, to come out. But I can't see the big picture. My higher power can. And my higher power can make things work in a way that, that um, it's going to come out to my benefit. Even though that's not what I wanted, it usually comes out to something that, that was better than I could have planned to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. The root of anger is fear. That's oh. my sponsor. Yes. Did that all the time with my, you know, we make a resentment list mm-hmm. and go down the list, which right. is real easy to do. Absolutely. When you're, when you're new, it's like, okay, I can list my resentments. Abs- oh, no doubt. Yeah. I think the person that came my up with that formula list. was a genius. Yes. Right. <laughs> because if you asked me to write down my character defects, I don't have it. I would have been baffled. Like, uh, right. I'm poor. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's but, my character defect. <laughs> but, but if you ask me to write down the names of the people that I'm pissed off at, that yes. I hate, that I hold a grudge to, oh, yeah, give me that pen. I'm going to need another pen. Give me that. <laughs> so whoever path, came yeah. up with that formula is a genius. Yeah. Right? So sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you. No, that's the, that's the point. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was his point. Yeah. And then take, taking that information... And then asking, well, okay, so what is the fear here? What are you afraid you're going to lose? Mm-hmm. What's the thing? And then you can yeah. go into that and see exactly where the place is right. inside of myself that I'm guarded about, that right. I'm uh, exactly that I'm, uh, where I'm afraid. And then mm-hmm. that is the exact thing that I can ask right. God for help. Exactly. And frequently it comes down to my, my ego is going to get bruised. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. I'm not going to get the respect that I feel that I deserve from other people. And people. Oh my God, I might look bad. Or people are going to laugh at me yeah, and think yeah, yeah, that yeah. I'm a fool or something like that. It's really, it, it goes right back to that self-centeredness. So it's self-centered fear is the, is the chief activator. I love earlier you were talking about acceptance mm-hmm. and that, you know, so this is, this is what my day is, is going to look like. Now, what mm-hmm. am I going to do? Right. And, and when you said that, it brought immediately to mind a speaker that I heard many years ago that uh, talked about six and seven. Mm-hmm. And six and seven is, six is, this is your life. Yes. Seven right. is, what are you going to do with it? Right. And oh, nice. I love that yeah. because that's the acceptance yes. of these character defects Absolutely. that have been uncovered in yep. four and five. Right. And then asking God to remove them. Yes. Yeah, step six always confused me because I look for the action in the step. And in step six, at least just the the way the step is written, it simply says, we were entirely ready to have have God God remove these defects of character, right? Mm -hmm. So so where's the action in that? You know, it's past tense. We were ready. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I supposed to do? But you're absolutely right. It's it's just acceptance that this this is my life. Yeah. This is what I have found in my inventory, you know, and now I leave it up to God to take away whatever is not useful for me or what is unhealthy for me or whatever. And I know you can't see this on the radio, but I was told that, you know, you don't let go of your character defects like this, like you open your hand and let them drop out. Mm-hmm. You open your hand with the palm up so that God can take 
what he chooses. To oh, take, I like that visual. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that a lot yeah. because that takes that takes me out of the picture. You know, I allow God to choose what needs to be taken away and what needs to be left behind. Alan, thanks for joining us today. Don't go anywhere because we still have an owl who's going yeah, to. Yeah, it's been circling a bit. I, I a heard visitation. it in the It's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sam. Aw, that sounded creepy. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> bit of Vincent Price breath. <laughs> now we need the Vincent Price laugh. <laughs> Uh, you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. Uh, we have a question from Wilhelmina in Lawrence, Kansas. Is my life over? Will I ever have fun again? Will I be an AA automaton the rest of my life sitting in meetings? Oh, poor oh. Wilhelmina. Poor Wilhelmina. I mean, but I understand. That was my fear. I'm going to just be, it's going to be white bread from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, and I'll just be a goody two shoes. Okay, I've got to let go and just let everybody walk all over me. Is that what you're saying in AA? It really sounded like that at first. I, I, it, it was all alien. All the concepts were alien. I didn't believe in a higher power. I, I mean, that's completely alien. The only thing was, if I was to keep drinking the way I was drinking, it was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So I got to do something, and I tried everything in the world. So I'm going to have to get sober somebody else's way. I, I let go of some of that fear of what am I going to be just by seeing the light and happiness inside of the people who were in AA that were recovered. And that's so inspirational. It's like, okay, I don't understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust these people because they're happy. They're standing around. You know, it's bizarre. Go, go to a meeting all these people are standing around laughing, talking about God and cussing. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense at all. But they they had something that I wanted. I, I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but particularly with this question, it seems to relate. I remember um, early on in meetings, you know, when someone who has shared before will say, I'm, I'm still Don, I'm an alcoholic, mm -hmm. because they've already introduced themselves. Well, I heard that the first time somebody did that, and I was going, oh, you can still be yourself. It's not like you're going to lose yourself. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was really afraid of that. And, mm-hmm. and the, it, the there's a line from a Tom Waits song, if I exercise my demons, all my angels will leave too. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of believe that. Like, what's going to happen? Because... Will I become the hole in the donut? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm an artist, musician, and it's like suffering and and drugs and alcohol and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, this is life. And I've got to give that up. Well, what am I going to get? Am I just going to be a weak-minded cow brain? I had to get sober somebody else's way. And sure enough, as I continued to do it, my life improved. My creativity didn't die. My sense of humor came back. A sense of effervescent joy came back to my life. I found myself singing in the shower. I hadn't sung in the shower for two years. And one day it's like, what's going on with me? That's, it's like I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> this works. What about you, Alan? What's your response to Well, I don't know what Wilhelmina's life looks like while she was drinking, Mm -hmm. but mine was a disaster. (laughs) You know, I had friends, but as I discovered when I got sober, really the only thing we had in common was alcohol. Because, you know, they told me that I had to change my places, my play places and playmates, and that happened pretty much automatically for me when I said, hey, I'm getting sober. You know, people sort of excluded themselves from my life, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sad to think that that's all we had, you know, how superficial our relationship was. But what getting sober allowed me to do was really, for the first time, at least since I started drinking, was to really begin living life again. Life, the world opened up to me. My world had gotten so small when I was drinking. It had gotten so small that I couldn't see that there was a lot of life out there yet to be lived. And it really opened up for me. And I began to do things that I could only have dreamed of doing while I was still drinking. Um, You know, and and I found that I enjoyed service opportunities. One of the things I did is I started volunteering for a, um, it was a telephone crisis line. Mm -hmm. I got trained to do this. And for about three years... You know, I would take the, the phone lines for a night or two a week and have people call in, and I would, I would help them, which brought me a lot of, of, you know, a great sense of self-worth. I felt like I was mm-hmm. giving something. But it also helped me to, to uh, you know, fortunately I was young and, and still relatively good health um, physically, and I started doing stuff like rock climbing and, and whitewater canoeing and backpacking in the wintertime on cross-country skis and, you know, found this whole other group of people um, outside of AA who were fun to hang around with. So, you know, no, um, my life was certainly not a, a glum life after I got sober. It, it was just the opposite. Things got much, much better for me. That's fantastic. Alan, I want you to, uh, if you, if you will, we were in the same meeting on Saturday and I shared something that, uh, then you built off of. Yes. And I would love for you to repeat that. Cause I think yeah. that it is uh, apt for this, this question. Right. And this was, um, this was not something that I came up with, but I can certainly re- relate with it. 
So what, what I heard was, when we start to drink, it's fun. You know, otherwise, would, why would we continue drinking? You know, when we first start drinking, it's fun. And then our drinking becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. And eventually it becomes work. For us to continue drinking the way we drank, we had to work hard at it, you know, to make sure that our supply didn't run out, that, um, you know, we had to work at at manipulating situations so that we could drink. We had to uh, remember who we told what lie and what lie we used to cover that lie. And, you know, know, that that life is a lot of work. Well, recovery is, is just the opposite. When we first come into recovery, it's work. It's hard work, you know. It's not complicated. But it's not easy, right? right? But as we continue to stay sober and come to meetings and begin to see that this life is maybe has something for us, it becomes a habit, you know. And for me, I sort of started going to to several meetings a week and running into the same people and, and developing relationships with people in the meetings. But eventually, recovery is fun. Recovery is a lot of fun, and you know, today I love my life in recovery. I can remember the first time that I heard somebody in a meeting say that they were grateful to be an alcoholic. And I'll clean this up a little bit. What I thought in my mind was, that woman is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) She certainly didn't suffer the consequences of her drinking like I did, right? How could she be grateful to be an alcoholic? But today, I truly understand what that woman meant, because today I can say that I am grateful to be an alcoholic because the way of living that this program of recovery brings helps me to live beyond my wildest dreams. And there is no way that I would have lived this way if I hadn't been driven to it. Right. Right. I don't know that I would have—I can't say that I wouldn't have found this way of living had I not been an alcoholic, but I'm grateful that— you know, I did find this way of living. And if being an alcoholic is what it took for me to find this way of living, Mm. I'm grateful for that. Well put. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know that I got much to add to what you guys have shared here. Um, you know, one thing I will flat out say is, uh, in addition to loving going to meetings and, and having AA as, as part of my life, um, I love all of the travel that I have gotten to do and still get to do in AA. I love going to conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got uh, one I'm going to in the middle uh, in, in, a, in a couple weeks uh, that'll be up in the D.C. area, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Southeast Regional Forum, which is going to be lots of AA servants coming together with lots of AA members just talking about what's going on in AA. I've never done one of these things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little nervous when I walk in there. And then within a few hours, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, these are my people. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. And I then have an awesome time. Mm-hmm. By no means am I an AA automaton. I have a lot of fun in life. And this is truly, I believe, a life that I would not be, if I managed to stay alive, um, would not be an enjoying life like this today. Had I kept on drinking. And I love that you brought up travel because I have had the opportunity since I got sober to, to travel parts of the world. And I can tell you that we have friends all over this planet that we just haven't met yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. I was fortunate enough to, to be able to go to um, Anchorage, Alaska and attend a meeting there where most of the participants were Native American Alaskan Indians. Mm-hmm. 
And I've been to a meeting in uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland, where I know that they were speaking English, but I could understand <laughs> nary a word of what they were saying. And I've been to a meeting. That happened to me in Killarney. Yeah. I went to a meeting in, in Costa Rica where I don't speak the language well enough to, to follow a conversation. And I felt like I was at home in every one of those places. Isn't that mm-hmm. amazing? It is amazing. Absolutely. Because we have this bond. Mm-hmm. And the connection is that our very lives depend on us being able to relate with one another. So I don't, I can't think of a stronger bond than that. And well, and I love the, the fact that as soon as I know someone is a member of AA or 12 step recovery of of substance type stuff, um, I know that we have a connection. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be digging for small talk mm-hmm, right. to find that connection. Right. I know we have it, mm-hmm. and it makes it so easy to interact with people at right. that point. I mean, it, just before we went on the air here, I told you about a woman that I met in a coffee shop on her trip this past week, and she had a tattoo of the circle and triangle, mm-hmm. and the, the connection was automatic. We both felt it immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that y'all finally got your schedules finally. lined up. Yeah. We don't have to do this again ever, do we? <laughs> <laughs> no, because this is the end for you unless you duck. <laughs> I think the owl got him. Bye, Alan. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Leave feedback or ask a question on the site or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.